Hi, everybody. Hey, it is good to be here. That was nice, Jess. Thank you. Uh, so everybody online, hi, my name's John. I am not David. <sighs> we have the same barber, but that's about it. I'm glad if you're tuning in online, it's good to see you. I'm excited to be with you. Uh, I'm with you this entire weekend. All right, I'm here today. I'm here on Saturday at Dude's Day, and I'm back again on Sunday. So I'm just excited to share the weekend with you guys. You guys could be doing a million other things, really. You could be home watching Thursday Night Football. You could be binge watching Stranger Things 3 or Grey's Anatomy. But you chose to come to church. Like, you didn't have to do that. That's a really cool thing. Like, I'm really proud of you for doing that. And we take that for granted that we didn't have to make it here. Something could have happened along the way that would have stopped us from being here, but it didn't. So you made it here, well done, and now you're stuck with a guest preacher. Like, that kind of stinks, right? You know, like, it, it, you had to overcome, like, 12 different obstacles just to get here. You had an argument in the parking lot on the way in, and now you're stuck with me, and you're like, really, where's David? I swear I saw him walking around. Why isn't he preaching? Right? Because it can be a little awkward when a guest speaker comes to hang out with you. I mean, you know, you don't know them, they don't know you, and now you're stuck together, and it's almost being like on a blind date with a pastor. And that is no one's idea of a good time, right? Nobody is on their phone like totally swipe right. I'm totally gonna meet that guy. No one wants to hang out on a blind date. Yeah, some of you got that swipe right, good job. Well done, millennials, well done. Like nobody wants to hang out with a pastor on a blind date. So what I thought I'd do uh, just in the beginning here is, is like Jess said, it's just to share a little bit about me, uh, my story, and then we will jump into week two of our series, High Stakes. Does that work? Oh, you're gonna have to do better than that. We are small, but we are mighty, okay? When, when I ask questions, I need a response. I don't know what you're used to, but with me, like I need energy, I'm needy. So I need, if you wanna clap, thank you. If you wanna make noises, I'll take whatever you can give me. All right, yes, there it is. Yeah, some Pentecostal love right there. Okay, so a little bit about me. I uh, grew up in Canton, Ohio. All right, I am a diehard Cleveland Browns fan. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, here's the deal. This is the first time since the 80s that we are actually playing the same sport as everybody else. All right? So I am a diehard Browns fan. Um, I, in high school and growing up, I... I played all the sports, you know, I, I played basketball and football and ran track and, and I wasn't excellent at them, but I could hang, but I wasn't going to get any scholarships. Uh, growing up, I did not know Jesus. I didn't grow up in the church. I am what uh, churchy people would call, I am a prodigal, as you'll hear later. Um, and so I didn't know Jesus. I was a, I was a mother creaster, Mother's Day, Christmas, and Easter. At best, I was a mother creaster, all right, all right? That's who I was. Um, in high school, I did find out that I was actually pretty talented in this thing called theater. And so I, uh, 
I realized that this is something I could excel at. And so you can imagine the day when I went home and I, and, and I had this big announcement to my dad and I said, dad, I am quitting football, basketball and track and I'm gonna be a thespian. <laughs> it was a great day in the Tizovich house. That was awesome. Also in high school, unfortunately, uh, I had to deal with a lot of tragedy. Um, several family members died suddenly um, that left a, a huge wound in our family. And then one day in my senior year, I came home and I found my best friend after he had committed suicide. I, um, I was a mess, as you can imagine. Uh, shortly after, I escaped to New York City to pursue a career in theater. I did not have a typical struggling actor journey in New York City. Uh, I was very fortunate. After only a couple months of auditioning for shows, I landed the lead role in the Broadway national tour of a show called Titanic, and my career took off. I jumped from one show to the next, to the next, to the next, but throughout this entire time, remember, there's no Jesus, there's no spiritual foundation in my life. And so throughout this entire time, I had this gaping hole in me, this God-shaped hole that, that I was trying to fill with everything that all the success in the world from a 21-year-old being paid really well to travel the country, I had access to everything and anyone, and I tried everything and anyone to fill that hole in my life. It wasn't long until things started to go south really fast. By the time I got into a national tour uh, by the a show called The Name of Rent, I um, had developed a full-blown cocaine addiction. I ended up moving back to Ohio, thinking that that would be the magical cure. It didn't work. <laughs> I ended up getting worse and worse, and my life spiraled out of control, losing everything and eventually being incarcerated. And when I say losing everything, I, I mean everything. In a 12-month period, I went from traveling around the country performing on America's greatest stages, including the Arnoff Center here in Cincinnati. 12 months later, I am in an eight by eight cell, broken, broken, with less than $5 to my name. On a brighter note, well, that's a Debbie Downer. You could hear that, just the air went out of the room, right? Like, oh gosh, where's Jesus? Where's hope, right? On a brighter note, when I moved back to Ohio, I ran into this young lady that I had a crush on in high school, who now just so happens to be my courageous, beautiful, world-changing wife. And so her name is Kelly. Yeah, you can clap for her, yeah. And so for whatever reason, my wife Kelly decided to stick with me throughout this entire ordeal. And I remember one day Kelly coming to visit me while I was locked up. That's an awesome experience. And she said to me, John, if you want this relationship to last, you're gonna have to get your crap together. And she didn't say crap, but I'm keeping it PG so the churchy people don't judge me more than they already are. So she said, you want to get your crap together? And I said, and some of you are judging me for crap, so that's fine. We'll, we'll get over it together. And she said, like, John, I'm serious. And I said, okay, fine. She goes, no, I'm serious. One of the things that I need you to do is I need you to go to church. And I said, yeah, right. Church is just for a bunch of, like, judgmental hypocrites, like, self-righteous, like, no way. I am not going to church. I'm serious. Go to church or this is over. Well, my mama didn't raise no fool, and so I didn't want to lose her. I went to church. I had a good one. 
my good wife. And I went to church, this church up north called River Tree Christian Church. And the first service I went to there, I came in, and I always look over here because I was sitting like in that section up at that church. And the pastor got up and he shared this story from the Bible about a lost son returning home. And God wrecked me. I had never heard a story like that about God's unconditional love, a no matter what kind of love. And I just sat there and I just wept. I broke down. Soon after, I dedicated my life to Christ. My life started over. The, the senior pastor, he took, he took me under his wing and he started to mentor me. I started to, uh, you know, to feel this, like what, I, what we would call now a calling. I started to feel this calling to go into ministry. So I started going through this training and studying and then I got, then I got ordained and, and I got married and we had two kids and, 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 and then I was asked to, to lead this, uh, this campus of our church and, and they trusted me. I don't know why, but they trusted my wife and I and, and we, we get, had this opportunity to lead this church and, and, and we were watching like hundreds and hundreds of people like and their lives being changed and watch these stories of, of life transformation all around us and, and we're just like hanging on for dear life life to hang on for the ride and, and and then we were presented with this opportunity to pray about whether or not we would consider starting a ministry in San Francisco and so after months of praying Kelly and I decided we're going to do this and so we packed up our entire lives into a U-Haul and we traveled 3,000 miles to San Francisco to start a new ministry and I'd love to tell you all about the thousands of lives that were transformed because of God working through us and because of the decision we made. But after six short months of living as missionaries in San Francisco, our funding ran out, our project shut down, and I was driving the U-Haul truck 3,000 miles back to Ohio. And Kelly and I spent the next 18 months picking up the pieces of our lives and I learned two things during this time. One, while I was in San Francisco in the 18 months that followed, I've never experienced a deeper depression and discouragement and anxiety than in my entire life. So there's that, you know, yay, the hashtag winning. Um, second thing, second thing I know is I didn't give up. I didn't give up. And because I didn't give up, God used that season of discouragement to break me down, to, to make me look at some things inside of me that needed to be looked at, to get under the hood and say, hey, you need to recognize this about yourself. We need to retool this. And he broke me down and he built me back up and he molded me into the next best version of me, the man he created me to be. And I look back now and even though I wish things would have gone differently in San Francisco, I'm so grateful for that season. It didn't kill me and it didn't, and because it didn't kill me, that means that God still had more work he wanted to do through me. And so for anyone out there, that you're walking through one of these seasons where, where you feel like it is just one thing after another and you are in that pit of discouragement, hang on, hang on. God's not done with you yet. He's not giving up on you. His word says that he will never leave you and he will never abandon you. That season didn't kill me. That season made me stronger. That season didn't kill me. That season made me bolder. It made me wiser. And if he did it for me, trust me, he will do it for you. 
You're on the verge of a breakthrough, even though you're in the midst of a breakdown. And that is a little bit about me. Yeah, you know, it's a little bit, a little tease. It's a little bit about me, about who I am. How's our first date going? Hey! I don't know if there'll be a second date, let's be clear. Because of you, not me. I'm, a, I'm in. I'm all in. You know, it, it is kind of weird, right? I started like looking around and some of your eyeballs got really big when I said cocaine and incarcerated. <laughs> I thought I was going to lose you, right? But you didn't. I'm glad you stayed. The rest of the time I do, I want to jump into our series, week two, high stakes. I hope you're ready. Uh, David did an excellent job setting up this series last week. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Jude. And some of you are like, hey, Jude, that's in the Bible? Yes, Jude, it's all the way in the back of the Bible. I'm going to be in verses three and four if you want to follow along with me. Um, when David asked me to preach and to share and to be here on the weekend, I was like, absolutely, man, I'd be honored. That's awesome. Thanks for thinking of me. And, and then I found out what scripture I was going to be preaching on. And I was like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> Jude, really? Nobody even knows that it's in the Bible, right? And the people that do know it's in the Bible, those are those weird churchy people that nobody really wants to hang out with, right? Let's just be honest, all right? Is that too real? Is that too honest? Listen, if you haven't already figured it out, I don't care, all right? I am like just really, I, I only have a limited time left on this planet, really. I am in the third quarter of my life at best. But he's got a plan for my life. He, he saved me from my old life, not so I could do my own thing. We all saw how that went. <laughs> but so that I could be in some way a small part of his thing. Because I know that he wants to use me, he wants to use all of us in some small way to be a part of his redemption plan for all of humanity. And see, there's a lot of people out there, right outside these walls and in here, sitting in these seats that are hurting. Some quietly, some loudly. Some have built up an amazing way to put up a great facade and some are bleeding openly in front of us. People in our families, people in our communities that, that are desperate, that don't have hope. People who are literally right now in our spheres of influence who are considering giving up, ending it. And they need real women and men that are willing to, to get into the messiness of the trenches of life, offering relationship and not religion. There are people right now praying for a miracle. Guess what, church? We are it. We are the miracle. We're the answer to those prayers. The body of Christ, his bride, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. We need to stop just offering up our thoughts and prayers and actually show up like Jesus did. He said, go and make, not sit and soak. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Where are we in Jude? 
Oh, you'll see why I'm fired up. Jude, it's a scathing letter, man. It is a, I'm gonna beat up the church because I care about the church letter. Jude, week two, high stakes. It's one chapter, 26 verses. If you weren't here last week, David kicked it off. You can do what I did if you weren't here. I went online and I watched it. You can go to whitewatercrossing.org and watch last week's message. And we're talking about high stakes, that there is a high stakes life that we are called to live. And I love the high stakes vibe, right? You know, the whole casino poker thing. Raise of hands. Would you believe me if I told you I've never played poker or been to a casino? You should not believe me. That would be a lie. And I don't lie. One of my favorite memories of being in Vegas, before, before I was hanging out with Jesus, thank you very much, was I was very, I was so fortunate. I got to actually perform on the Las Vegas Strip in this show called Miss Saigon. And we were performing at the Aladdin Hotel and we just sat down there and just, it was incredible. And like when I wasn't performing, I, I, I would just wander, you know, just wander Vegas, wander through all like the incredible architecture of the casinos. And, and of course I'd go to the all you can eat buffets and because I like to eat. And, and then, you know, I lost my wallet at the craps table. Um, but the first time I was ever in Vegas was when my parents took me, um, you know, because that's what you do with your kids. We were on this cross country vacation. Um, it was like the Griswold family vacation. We had this big hoopty van with wood paneling on the sides and we're driving across country. And my dad, you know, if you remember a trip tick, I'm aging myself right now, um, from AAA, like we had that and he was like, well, we gotta make a stop in Vegas. And I was like, oh, whatever that means, okay. Right, and so like, and cause he was like, I wanna try out the all you can eat buffets. Tizovich boys like to eat. And so like, we're like, okay, fine. Well, I found out very quickly the all-you-can-eat buffets was not the only reason why my dad wanted to go to Vegas. Now, I can't tell you what happened on that trip to Vegas because, you know, what happens in Vegas? There it is. Turn with me to Jude, verse 3. Dear friends, Jude writes, Although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation that we share, he's writing to the church, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Jude, the definition of tough love. Jude is writing to his fellow believers, to the church, to his brothers and sisters in Christ that he loves. Other translations start verse three, instead of dear friends, it says, my beloved. He loves the church. And so he's writing to the church because he is seeing some things that he knows this is not okay. Things that he fears are gonna derail us from our mission as the church. And so he writes this letter to all of us, to all believers as a wake up call. Now I'm gonna be real transparent with you because I haven't already, I guess, enough. Um, I had a really hard time with this sermon. 
I was dealing with all sorts of, of distraction and discouragement and spiritual attack and, and battling all sorts of insecurities. Like I said, I, I watched David's sermon from last Sunday and I was like, man, aside from our barber, we are nothing alike. Like, I, like he, he preaches in a different way. His style is different. Like he's got so much more experience. He's so much more well-versed. And I'm just like, I, 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 I literally, I literally deleted my sermon almost 12 times trying to rewrite it in a way that would package it more like the way that he preaches so that thinking like if I preach like him, then, then his congregation will receive it a little easier. And I'm on the verge of a mental breakdown when God finally wakes me up and he's just whispers to me, just be you. Amen. Just be you. So can I just be myself? Is that cool? Yeah? Because I'm just going to be myself. And, and I'm sorry, like, if it's not how what you're used to, I'm sorry. You know, write letters to David, not me. And, and so, <sighs> he's going to love that. <sighs> sorry. I am so grateful. I got to make up for it now. I'm so grateful for this opportunity. And I am, but you know what I'm more grateful for is actually the wrestling match that I had to go through to get to this point. Because here's the deal, and maybe, maybe, maybe somebody needs to hear this. As I continue to walk in the purpose of my life, I need to be reminded of the fact that the same God who, who hung the stars and the planets in the sky the same God who like paints every sunrise and every sunset, that he saw the world and he said, I want a John Tisovich. Yeah, let me make that. And he's saying that to each of us. It's like, no, 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 no. I, 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 want, I want them, I'm gonna make them. Don't try to be somebody else. Don't try to be anybody but you. Because I made you to be you. Because this world needs you. You. With all your, mm, you know, we all got that. Mm. Yeah. With all of that, I made you. So be you. And so when I messed up John, look at the book of Jude. Here are two things that jump out at me immediately when I look at this because of how I'm wired and my experiences with God. In verse 3, when Jude writes, I am compelled to write you and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. Immediately, I am drawn to the phrase, contend for the faith. What does it mean to contend for the faith? Well, to contend means to fight for, to, to defend, to, to compete for. There is a life of faith that, that has been offered to us, that has been bought and paid for with a price, with blood. And to those of us who have received that gift of salvation, we have to fight for that every day. Why? Well, it's the other thing that jumps out to me in verse 4. Jude writes, Certain individuals, ungodly people, have secretly slipped in among you. They pervert the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our sovereign and Lord. The NLT Bible, it says it like this. Verse 4, it says, I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches. Saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The Apostle Paul, if you've ever heard of him, he wrote a lot of the New Testament. Pretty sure it's 13 books, a little bit. 
He said, he, he said a similar warning in his book of Romans, Romans 6, 15. It says this, he says, well then, which is great, well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not, he says. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. You wanna talk about high stakes. Here it is in simplified English because I'm a simple guy. Both Jude and Paul are giving a strong warning. Wake up, church. Kick to the person next to you. Tell them to wake up. No, really, go ahead, just kick them because one guy's sleeping. Just because you gave your life to Christ doesn't give you free reign to live however you want. Grace is not a get out of jail free card. We can either choose to be a slave to God or a slave to sin. One leads to death, one leads to righteousness. With this life, we actually get to bring kingdom to heaven. Heaven to king, heaven to earth. Yeah, there it is. And herein lies the high stakes. We've all been dealt a hand. We have. Some of us don't like our hand that we dealt with. We've all been dealt a hand, and it's decision time. What are you going to do with the hand that you've been dealt with? with this life that you've been given. Back to my awesome family vacation to Vegas when I was a kid, I will share with you one thing that happened. My dad uh, took me to this hole in the wall casino, like off the strip, Real, like just nasty, like old 70s decor, like it reeked of smoke and desperation. And, and I remember like standing behind my dad because I didn't care if kids were in the casino at this point. And, 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 and he was sitting at this poker table and, and, and I learned a powerful thing at that casino that day. And there are few things more exciting than watching when someone goes all in, right? And I know none of you play poker, guaranteed. None of you play poker and none of you have ever been to a casino. So I'll elaborate for you. There's this moment in a poker game when someone can make a decision and put all their chips in, all their money, everything they have into the center of the table and they can bet everything on the hand that they've been dealt. Basically saying like, I believe in the cards that I am holding are going to beat everybody else's cards at the table. And the drama builds as it goes from one person to the next, to the next. And, but there's this interesting thing that happens when someone goes all in. It forces everyone to make a decision. The power of all in. Going all in creates a chain reaction of events. Think about the last time that you went all in for something, not poker. <laughs> when Jude talks about contending for the faith, fighting for the faith, it requires an all in with Jesus. But to do that, that requires us to shift our idea of who Jesus is because there's a lot of different versions of him out there. Who is he for you? Is he, is he warm and fuzzy, Jesus? Is he snuggy, Jesus? Warm on a, on a cold day, Jesus? Is he cutie pie, Jesus? You know, holding the baby lamb? You know, is, is, is he seven pounds, seven ounces, golden diaper in a manger Christmas morning, Jesus? 
Is he Savior Jesus? You know, reaching out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and pulling you out of hell. I like that, Jesus. But there's another Jesus that we need to lean into if we want to contend for this life of faith, if we want to go all in. And that's Jesus on the throne. Jesus, Lord, Master, Sovereign. Shifting from having Jesus as our Savior to Jesus as master of my life. Which is part of what Paul is talking about. Like we're going to be a slave to somebody, to something. We're going to be a slave to, to whatever we choose to obey or whoever we choose to obey. To whoever or whatever is sitting on the throne. So who's on the throne for you? Because we've all put somebody on the throne. We've all put somebody or something on the throne. Like for some of us, it's our spouse. And we think like, oh, you know, good intentions, that's great. That's not, her, that's not his or her chair. For some of us, we put our kids there. Or, or our boss or, or our bills. Or, or there's an addiction or, or, or a decision from our past. Or, or debt or success or, 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 or striving for fame or hoping for marriage. Or finding a soulmate, you know, or, or popularity. Or, or maintaining our well-manicured, over-filtered presence on social media. Like, or, or getting into the right college or finding the right job. Like we're all going to be a slave to something. To whoever we put on the throne. See, going in all in for Jesus is more than a, a one-time prayer and a dunk in the water. You know the preaching's getting real good and hitting home when, like, it gets real quiet. You know what I mean? It's like, dang, I'm stepping on all sorts of toes in here. That's Holy Spirit conviction, not me. Sorry. Sorry, I don't control you or your life. That's not me. Going all in with Jesus means that, that that's his seat. Nobody else's. That's his throne. He becomes our master. And as our master, we are slaves to him. As weird as that sounds, it's your Bible. I didn't write it, okay? Like we become slaves. We are in servitude to the master. He calls us to a life of service. And there's two things that he asks of us. Two things that everything goes through. The filter through which he asks as the slaves of Christ. And if you've been around church for more than a day, you've heard these things. Jesus talks about them in the book of Matthew. There's this moment in the book of Matthew when a group of Pharisees, that's like the, the churchy religious people of the day, they're trying to corner Jesus and, and they ask him this question. This is Matthew 22, verse 35. He says, one of them, an expert in religious law, he tried to trap Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, that's easy. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. He goes on. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Love God and love people. Simple, right? But if Jesus is not Lord, it's almost impossible. I cannot love God with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind. I cannot love my neighbor. I cannot love my enemy. I cannot love anyone, even myself, if I am still a slave to sin, if I am still a slave to my old life, 
my old way of living. We don't like to say the word sin, and whenever we say the word sin, it's, it's ouchy, it's icky, right? Sin is this religious word that we don't like to talk about, and so think of it this way. Sin is that area in your life where, where you tell God to go away. See, if Jesus is only my savior, I am tempted then to do whatever I want with my body, with my mind, with my spirituality. And this is where the work needs to be done to be freed from that bondage of sin. Jude's brother James, he, in, in the book of James in the Bible, he said it like this, it's real simple, faith without works is dead. I don't want you to just sit there and praise him and he is good and you're not doing anything with your life. You're not working at this. There's no action. Faith is an action verb. Just look that up. Do some exegeting of the scripture. Faith without works is dead. And so when I was early on in my recovery and early on in my faith, I would say things to Kelly like, oh, I am, I'm so excited about what I'm going to do and how I'm growing and, and all the things that I think God's going to have me do. And she goes, shut up. <laughs> She's savage, y'all. <laughs> she said, don't tell me, show me. Because actions speak way louder, right? All in for Christ means a life committed to an authentic life of loving God and loving people. Is there enough evidence to convict you in your actions that you are a sold out all in follower of Christ? Too often in the church, kind of like soon after we make a decision to follow Christ. You know when we make that first decision and we go in the water and we're, we all got the, like the Holy Spirit goose pimples, you know what I mean? Like we're all hopped up on the Holy Spirit like, yeah, this is awesome. Like, you know, and then life, marriage, bills, things start to slow down and, and, and we're a little less excited and, 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 and we start to give in to certain areas like complacency and then drift back into convenience. And if we're not careful, we slip into the sin of sloth. Sloth. Sloth is the avoidance of physical or spiritual work. A slothful person is unwilling to do what God wants because of the effort that it takes to do it. And this is the epidemic that I see worming its way into our churches. Sloth flies under the radar, man. Like, like if we see uh, the sin of, of sexual immorality, man, we got that one, right? We jump on that, we see that, and we call that out, whether it's in our churches and our leadership, and we should, no bones about it, or, or lust, or greed, or pride. Man, we, we see that, we're like, yeah. But sloth? When's the last time you saw a sermon series dedicated to sloth? 
And I'm willing to confess in front of all of you that I am in a personal battle with this in my life right now. See, God has placed a calling on my life. I know that. He has purposed me to be used by him to advance the kingdom of God on earth for as long as I'm alive. This past year or so, I have felt like it is time to step back in to full-time ministry. And I know in my heart that he's calling me to lead his bride, the church again. But I don't want to. I don't want to because of the sacrifice that I know it takes. The toll it takes on my family. Potentially moving. I don't want to move. I like my house. Potentially being away from family and friends. And then I start feeling convicted by the Holy Spirit and I start thinking about conveniences and comforts. And if I'm being honest about being complacent, So here, before all of you, this is my first sermon since my wife and I decided I'm, I'm going all in for ministry again. And I confess, hey, I'll take it. I confess for too long that I have not been going all in, that I have been playing it safe. And shame on me for that. That amazing grace does not cover that. I need to ask for forgiveness of that and move forward. Because my life is not my own. I died. I died. My old self was buried. My old ways, my habits, my beliefs. I'm no longer that guy. I am no longer a slave to that old way of living. I've been rescued and redeemed of too much in my life to play it safe. I'm scared to go into ministry again, not because I believe it's the wrong path for me, but because I know it's the right path. And my challenge to you guys is simply this. Where are you scared to go all in? I'm not asking you to sell your house and move to Ecuador to, 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 to pour into kids living in third world poverty. I'm not asking that. Jesus might be... Maybe Jesus is asking you just to get involved. You've been sitting on the sidelines for a while and it's time for you to volunteer. Maybe Jesus is asking you to join a small group because you can't do this life of faith alone. You cannot. You need people in your corner that are gonna hold you accountable and encourage you as you move forward in your faith. Maybe it's allowing Jesus to be Lord of your finances You approach tithing and giving as like, if the show is good, I'll put it in a five spot. If it's really good, I'll put it in a 10 spot. But to truly trust him and say, I trust you with my best. Maybe he's asking you to start to, to sacrificially give to the kingdom movement that is happening right here. I don't know what he's asking you, but as Lord, I guarantee you he is asking everything of you. He's patient. He's kind. But he's asking you something. So I'll challenge you with this question. What's one thing, just one, 
that you can do to take one step out of complacency, out of comfort to a life of being all in. Even if it means sacrifice, even if it's scary, even if it's out of your comfort zone, even if everybody else around you thinks you're crazy, even if Will you go all in? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for not giving up on me. I thank you for how you saved me. I thank you for all you've done through me. I thank you that the grace you pour out is abundant. But Jesus, I ask that that for me, for all of my brothers and sisters here, that you, are, you will empower us and encourage us to not rest on that amazing grace, but to be propelled forward in a life of service to you and your kingdom. Regardless of, of what that means, the sacrifices it may mean, we trust you. We trust you even if everything else around us tells us we shouldn't. We trust you. Jesus, speak boldly to us throughout this weekend and throughout the week until we come back together again. If there's anything that I've said today, Jesus, that is not of you and from you, let everyone forget it the moment they leave. Empower us, Jesus, to take the next steps in our journey with you. It's in your name that all God's people said, amen. Hey. They say sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. But right now, Right now I'm losing that I stood on the stage night after night Reminding the broken it'll be alright Right now, right now I just can't It's easy to sing when there's nothing to bring me down Say when I'm held to the flame like I am right now. Cause I know you're able and I know you can save through the fire with your mighty hand. But even if you don't, my hope's in you alone. They say takes a little faith to move a mountain a good thing is little faith is all I have right now but God when you choose to leave mountains unmovable oh give me the strength to 
so glad that you joined us online today. Keep in touch in the future. Again, you can text the word NEW to the number on the screen or PRAY to the number on the screen, and we'd love to pray with you. Have a great week.